Hello, everybody, and welcome to Martial Parts, the podcast that discusses different parts of martial arts. I'm your Eastern practitioner with 23 years of experience in Tang Sudo, Brent Lacey. I am your HEMA enthusiast with less than a year of experience, but lots of experience with scaring his neighbors with scary swords, Nolan Lacey. We're definitely glad to have everybody this month on the show. Uh, this will be our third show of our new podcast on the Final Plank Network, um, something that my brother Nolan and I have been talking about for some time about discussing our about discussing our history of martial arts practice. Something that we have found ourselves having in common as we grow and age <laughs> later in life. We emphasis on picking the age. up habits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> picking up habits and and. Finding things in common. It's its an interesting part of our show, I feel. So this month, I want to get deep. I want to go deep. How deep, Brent? I think it's time. I think it's time we go deep on this show. Okay. What, uh, what, we talking like, uh, you know, a puddle or are we talking Mariana's Trench deep? Like, we're, where are we going? We're talking like Bill Paxton, no wait, who was in The Abyss? The same guy in Apollo 13. And Ed Harris. Ed Harris. We're talking Ed Harris in Abyss Deep this month. Okay. That's pretty that's pretty deep. Yeah. And we can't we can't start off right there, else we risk hitting the bends. So we'll uh yeah, we gotta we, descend we into gotta it. We gotta slowly descend into it. Start off with something light. So let's 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 talk about what's been going on. Um, for the listening audience, we are recording these shows ahead of time. So uh, when this airs, I'm not sure if we will still be in the throes of coronavirus but while we're recording these we are i think at uh, day 38 of self slash not self imposed quarantine i mean i am pretty sure i've been here for about six years at this point so. <laughs> it's what it feels like yeah I've, I've hardly left my house outside of to take the dog on the walk and to swing a sword around so what is time what is time so anyway uh it would be nice if by the time we air these shows that they're uh the topics might no longer be relevant, but uh, nevertheless, that's where we are while we're recording. So let's let's start let's start this month's episode talking about uh, what we've been doing, how we've been training, what's been going on in the the month since the last time we met. So, as with most martial arts, there's a lot of multi-person drills involved. Actually, uh, you know, checking proof of concept against another person, especially in sword fighting, is extremely useful in making sure that you are progressing, that you're doing the right thing um, for the sports aspect of it, that you're not over-calibrating and hurting someone. And being alone, you lose all of that. Uh, there's a lot of people who've, who've constructed Pels, which it's are... A pel. It's a training dummy. Um, they range from just four by fours with towels on them is that to an insult you can throw around the studio like dude's a pell over here i mean you you could i haven't heard it but <laughs> i should probably start saying that mm. get that get that going people have they've made some pretty complex pells that hold on to swords and you can actually work on some proper gains and make sure that your sword's in the right place and work on techniques and where to place it, where you're going to hit someone, when you need to mutate, when you need to move around. There, there's a lot of things that people have been working on. But for the majority of people, and I, I would put myself in this category, 
finding motivation to train on your own is is difficult. Because so would you say if you have a training dummy that really motivates you to practice on your own, it would be quite compelling? God, I got to watch out for these. Keep man. it fresh. Keep it, it fresh. So uh, one of the things that I've been doing that I would like to introduce you to as well is the Meyer Square. It's so there, you know, there's a lot of different masters that you can train under and that you can read historical sources. And this is not exclusive to just Meyer as far as these techniques, but he's got his name stamped on it. And um, it's just a cutting pattern for how to throw cuts. Or if you want to do master cuts, you can switch it up instead of just doing like straight overhouse and unterhouse, which are just overhand cuts and underhand cuts. You can do it with your master cuts. You can do it with your guards. You can do it with a, a lot of different things. So if you do an hour of of Meyer squares, which is something I've been trying to do every you know couple of days a week, it'll help with your form. It'll help with your posture. It'll help with making sure that you are not overthrowing your sword. It'll make sure that you're not overstressing your tendons because you're swinging too hard. So that that's something I've been working on a lot. But it is monotonous, and I'm pretty sure a lot of the things that you can do for Tang Do for solo drills are also monotonous. So you're saying training has become monotonous for you these days? It, to an extent. I am lucky enough to have a couple of different swords to practice with. So I get to do some longsword, I get to do some rapier, I get to do some side sword drills. In the backyard? Yeah, yeah, which is where I'm scaring my neighbors because mm. we just have a chain link fence. So I come out there and they're cleaning up their house and I'm just swinging, <laughs> just beating the shit out of a pell with a sword. Eye contact, very important in these yeah. situations. Oh, I turn and look at them and give them a big thumbs up and just go back to smacking my pell. Thumbs up, not you. <laughs> See how good I am at this? Glad we have a fence. Yeah. They're nice. So, um, so you've been doing some outdoor backyard training. As of yes, late. we um, I may have mentioned this briefly on the last podcast, but we we've moved all of our training to online Zoom meetings. I've got two great instructors that work under me at the studio, and we've devised a plan to conduct um, online classes as well as uh, videos that we upload with short drills that people can watch and then uh, replicate in their own training space. I do have a question about how you set your Zoom meetings up, and I, I, I do mean this with as much respect as I can give it. Have you been you hitting the computer a, with your sword? No. <laughs> no. No. You you guys have a pretty intricate bowing introduction at the beginning of class. How do you do you, do you throw out the formalities when you're doing so it online? At, at the beginning of a traditional Tong Sudo class in the association we're with. And you, Nolan, you got a taste of this when you came to visit for GalaxyCon back in I March. Did. Depending on the size of your class, it's a pretty lengthy bow-in session. And I don't want to I don't want to go too far off tangent here, but the, the order, you go, you're pretty much just paying respect to everybody in order of rank slash importance slash uh, seniority in the class. So each class starts with a salute towards the flags, uh, the nationality flag. So United States for us, as well as the Korean flag, because that's where our heritage comes from, as well as the association that we're with. So you pay respect to the flags, the kind of overarching uh, group that you're with. 
Then you bow to a portrait of the grandmaster or the founder. Uh, then you pay respects to the person leading the class for teaching everybody. Then everybody pays respects to the senior black belts in the studio. Then everybody pays respects to the senior training student in the studio. So it sounds like a lot. It, it, it actually goes much faster than I described it just now. <laughs> well, when you know what you're doing, yeah. Yeah, it goes I'm quick. just, but, but yeah, with, with the Zoom classes... <clears throat> is it like a Brady Bunch kind of thing? Everybody looks in and they bow to each other. Well, see, the thing they... is, this is new. This is new for everybody. Like, there's no precedent about how how do you, you know, the masters that wrote the texts weren't prepared for <laughs> for this. So it, there is no right answer. It's it's kind of what do you what do you what are you doing? What are you doing these days? Yeah. Um, and and we'll, we'll I think we'll come back around to this when we get more into discussion about how we're training these days in in the midst of of COVID. Yeah. Um, me personally, the way I've run my classes, I, I don't, I don't have any flags in my house or portraits of our grandmaster. So we, we start each class. Um, everybody just bows to each other over the, the screen in Korean. That's uh chariot come to attention is chariot and Kyung yet is bow or, or, or pay respects. So we all just cheer it to each other. Just to kind of show, like, all right, we're we're officially in training mode. We've paid respects to each other. I, I, they've paid respects to me for leading the class, and I'm paying respects to my students for, you know, volunteering their, uh, sacrificing their time to listen to what I have to say to train. Okay, um, so Very it is cool. it is different than normal, and we're trying to maintain some semblance of. It, it, it's a balance between paying tribute to what used to be normal and also acknowledging what is now normal. Sure. Um, not to say it's going to be normal forever, but for right now, that's, that's what normal is. Yeah. Did I answer your question or did I get? No, far, you, you, you answered it. Here. Went a little bit further, but you took it serious. So that, that's what happens. Yeah. So the, anyways, your online training. Yeah. So it's, you know, uh, whether you do martial arts or not, it's pretty obvious that like an online training is going to preclude several activities you know i can't get in there and manipulate your wrist to show you how to do a proper outer lock or an inner lock or a shoulder throw like i can watch you do something over the screen but i can't manipulate your body if you're doing it incorrectly so the focus of our classes has been more you know an online workout we, we all have common techniques that we know how to do so i can call those techniques out and we can run them in certain sequences, certain repetitions, but I can't, I can correct you a little bit if I see what you're doing, but it's very difficult to teach somebody new techniques over the internet. You can show them, but as we know from that episode of the happy days where uh, the Fonz tried to instruct a uh, mechanic class by showing people how to disassemble a V8 engine, he didn't actually teach anybody anything. Yeah. Um, so the focus has to change a little bit these days so it's a balance of what what can you do with your group versus what can you do by yourself and both of those are counterbalanced against what can you not do because you don't have a, a training partner at this time yeah. that's that's something that has been an issue for me because i'll i'll ask the instructors to send me videos of a certain cut or how to transition from a guard to a cut and they they do a good job of sending me slow videos or finding good references on YouTube. 
the problem is though, like you said, they, they can't manipulate my hands or, you know, if, if the transition is really weird and I'm, I keep smacking myself in the face with a guard or something, they, all I can do is ask questions from what I'm seeing and I might not be seeing the proper thing. Like right. I might not be actually seeing what the problem is. All I know is that I'm getting frustrated. That's, that's one of the things that this incident is bringing to light is, you know, this has historically not been something that people have had to train through. So regardless of whatever texts you read or lineage you follow under, you know, training online is not, there. there's no precedent of like how to do that. Yeah. You know, there's, there's precedent of training in mass. There's precedent of like training secretly underground. You know, a lot of the forms that people learn that look more like dances were used in times when you couldn't train martial arts in public because it was illegal based on whatever country was occupying wherever you were. But yeah. it was it was always a, a person to person relationship, person you know one to many or one to one. It was always an interaction. And nowadays, given where we are, it has to be a it has to be through a screen. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that how that plays out in the long run, whether it's a few months or longer. The the people who can properly teach themselves through just reading or or watching someone do something is absolutely incredible to me. There are some people at the the club that can read the historical manuals in their very awkward middle English translations and just like, oh yeah, this is how you do it. And then perform the proper techniques that to me is amazing. I, I, I can't do it. And then upon the overhead strike, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have done reversed his attack whereupon I can <laughs> move it betwixt his ribs. <laughs> yeah that's yeah you're not far off <laughs> so yeah training's classroom training has been weird the past couple of weeks and i think that's a good transition into our our second bit for for this month about like are we getting deeper is this taking us deeper oh, we're getting we're getting deeper we're going deeper <laughs> so this would transition into our ne- no sorry <clears throat> so one of the juxtapositions that we have on the show is that um, you, you are a very enthusiastic student of the art that you're training in, whereas I am an instructor and also a student, but but an instructor of the art. So I, that's one thing that I, I like to focus on in the show is like the difference between a student's point of view and an instructor's point of view. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, how do you maintain or even improve in this time when you don't have direct contact with an instructor or as an instructor what what do you do to either help your students and also maintain your own proficiency yeah so you you talked a little bit about how you've been practicing in in the backyard what are some pros and cons of of having to do this by yourself so especially with the system that bold city longsword uses we we train uh, Meyer's book is uh, 1570 text, not his 1564, I believe. Is oh, of course. Other. No, yeah, 1570 all the way. <clears throat> it's it's a little bit more fleshed out. Mm-hmm. Um, the remix. It's, yeah, 1570, the remix. <laughs> Can you do sack with it? It's the good one. Um, it's it's uh, it, That book has five different weapons. He's got side sword, do sack, long sword... I say dagger and spear. We only we only do three of them. We do dusak, we do side sword, his rapier, and we do longsword. But 
the solo drills doing the, the Meyer cutting diagram is such a fundamental core tenant in what he teaches that no matter what weapon you're using, you can get utility out of it. Um, one of the instructors, I mean, he, you know, he's been doing this. So, so Hema's not a super old community. It's only, you know, five, six, seven years. Most people there, there were previous versions of this, but Hema is like the newest iteration and it's, it's catching on better. Um, so he's, he's only been doing this for six or seven years, but he had previous experience doing Eastern martial arts and Eastern swords. And he completely transitioned over to doing longsword and has done thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and as many Meyer squares as he can get because he thinks it is such a good technique to learn. Because whenever you're engaged with someone, it teaches you that wherever you've just attacked, they've defended, which means that the quarter opposite of it is open. So if you can just build in that no matter where you're attacking because of this this setup, this diagram that you're working on, if you attack in the upper left corner, their bottom right corner has to be open just through the logistics of holding a sword. So it's good to know that it's building muscle memory. If you're doing it properly, it's, it's something that is going to be used in every other part of the technique. Every transition you do, every guard you get into, every cut that you throw is going to transition through the Meyer square. It's useful. And I'm, you know, I'm very new. So I'm behind the curve. I feel personally, uh, to a lot of the other guys, other people in the club. So I remind myself that I, to get better, I don't need to spar. I just need to do these these Meyer mm. squares. I need to do these mm. transitions. I need to work on these things because I, I will get utility out of sparring. Absolutely. I will get better because of it, but I'm so far behind that just getting the, the basics, getting these things down is going to aid me when I get back into sparring. So it's interesting what you touched on. It reminds me of a, I forget the, the term for it, but there's, in in martial arts, there's a, a four part training regimen that you can not regimen is not the right word, but there's a there's a there's a two by two grid you can look at for any training premise, mm-hmm. um, and it's 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 four parts, and I I think this kind of fits into what you were saying, and, I, and I'm going to disagree with you a little bit about one of your later statements about not getting mm. any uh, benefit from sparring. <laughs> so no, that's 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 not. If I said that I didn't get any, that's not what I meant. What I meant was that because of where I am, like a lot of the people who've been doing this longer aren't going to get as much out of just doing solo drills. Mm. They would get more out of sparring, whereas I will get a lot out of sparring. But right now I'm I'm at an advantage because running through these drills on my own over and over again, I'm making bigger steps in my personal training than they are. Okay. Because I'm I'm so far behind where they are. So in 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 training, and I use this in my uh, thesis for my uh, fourth don test. Uh, one of the requirements is a twenty thousand word thesis. You have to submit Ugh. on research in martial arts and whatever you've developed. And one thing I came across that I 
hadn't known about, but I had kind of known about, if you know what I mean. Um, there's there's four stages in training, and the first one is with no motion or opponents, and that's just working on your stances. Where Where is your balance? Where is your center? You're not actually moving in any of these exercises. It's just in these different stances you take, where is your body weight? You know, is it forward? Is it backward? Is it advancing? Is it retreating? Is it defensive? Is it offensive? And the second one is that same concept, but in motion. So that would be, um, in Eastern martial art, that would be your kata or your hyung, where you're doing your your dance-like sequence of motions with no opponent. So you're practicing all your different stances, but you have to move from one to the next. So, you know, we went from X... You know, from 2x to x squared or x cubed. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So you go from just practicing your balance and your stances to how can I do this in motion. The third one is practicing those against an opponent in a prearranged configuration. So I know that I'm going to start in fighting stance. You're going to start in long stance. You're going to throw x, y, z. I'm going to do a, b, c to counter. So we're not working on our reaction time. Well, we are working our reaction time, but not our, our 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 judgment, so to speak. I know exactly what you're going to do, and therefore I can practice exactly what I'm going to do to work on our, our timing and our distance. Yeah. And the third one is with an opponent, but with no um, with no predetermined configuration, which would be free sparring. So I don't know what my opponent's going to do, and I can do whatever I want to do. And these three, these four aren't taken in a vacuum. You don't, you don't practice for a year of just standing in one stance, and then standing in another stance, and then start to move. You know, you, you practice, you practice not moving. You practice moving. You practice moving with an opponent, pre choreographed, and then you practice with an opponent non pre choreographed. Um, and I feel like all four of those are really essential in in training. But given where we are these days, you can't really do all four of those. Yeah, you're really limited to the first two. You know, if you have somebody at home who is um, compassionate, sympathetic, empathetic, and <laughs> and and willing enough to throw some blows at you to allow you to block, uh, you can get in that third quadrant. But um, you know, unless your 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 significant other or your partner is also an avid martial artist, that wears out pretty quickly. Yeah. You, I, I can't even rain get Savannah down to hold the swords. So, like, I, I I walked through the house with the, a rapier and a side sword yesterday. And I just held one of them to her. Just like, hey, just hold on to it. Just feel it. It's cool. You're holding a sword. And she <clears throat> she grabbed it and was just like, this is dumb. You're dumb. <laughs> so I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go train. Have fun. <clears throat> and, you know, my wife, Tanvi, is also a student. She's a brown belt in... Uh, Sudo. so we have a lot of techniques in common that we both know that you know the application and the basics xyz but um yeah she gets she gets frustrated when we do um target work because she says i hit the targets too hard so you know i'm i'm compassionate i throttle back a little bit because you gotta you gotta keep that that balance equal yeah uh, but at the same time you know that means you can't really practice full out on somebody unless you have yeah. a, a training dummy or or a tree or something you can kick. If you're okay with kicking trees, I guess. Yeah. So uh, let me ask you then, you know, in, in Eastern martial arts, I, th- I feel like people have 
an idea of, of, of what that second quadrant looks like. You know, you see people doing demonstrations of martial arts forms where they're jumping around and doing turn quick turns and high jumps and kicks and chops, this, that, and the other. And it looks like a routine. Uh, is there is there some uh, analogy to that in HEMA as opposed to Definitely. like just single techniques? Um, I personally haven't seen any like competitive versions of that um i know right now and i don't know how many of these happen a year but there's a an online competition going for people to do flourishes Mm. Um, so it's essentially i think the way they're structuring it is somebody somebody puts online a flourish and then you have to design one to counter that so if they're putting up all these blows and these guards and these defenses, you have to watch their video and then you have to upload your video of, okay, they're doing this, so I'm going to parry it and then I'm going to attack and then I'm going to gain here. So this is specifically in the online bubble. Yes, and I, I think this was to make up for their actual in-person competition having to be canceled. Mm. In training, so there's a lot of flourishes that you can do just just to pair techniques together. Um, the the two swords that I see that with most, you can do it with long sword, but a lot of people do it with like a doosack or a side sword. They are probably what you would consider more Hollywood looking fighting styles. When people think of rapiers, the two movies that pop into their head are either Zorro or The Princess Bride. For people our age, I'm sure, sure people also think of like The Duelist or... Uh, I, I don't know. I can't really think of older ones with rapiers that have really excellent fighting in them. Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you get it. Yeah. Um, but um, the the flourishes, that, that's what Hollywood fighting looks like because you're not, you're there just to do the fancy techniques yeah, that you pretty. might not. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's not something that you would typically see in a fight because you're not trying to extend the fight. You want to get it done as quickly as possible. You take an opening that you can get. If a, if a fight goes to 10, 11, 12 blows or parries, like either something's very, very right or something's very, very wrong. Right. An airline pilot, pilot doesn't do dogfighting skills. Exactly. Not because he exactly. can't, because he <laughs> just wants to end the flight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, I would say that's the, the closest parallel that we would have to doing that that quadrant mm. two mm. at least in our training we don't we don't do that a whole lot we, yeah. we typically go from one to three well see and, and one of the interesting things is a lot of those forms when you talk to people who've not just begun training and begun to feel like they have some competence is their their reaction is that oh like these forms are worthless because nobody's ever going to attack me in this exact pattern for 20 moves. You know, you get some forms that are 20, 30, 50 moves. And a, a novice might think like, this is silly. Nobody's ever going to attack me from the left and the right and forward, 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 back, forward, and the left and the right. They um, haven't played Street Fighter enough then. Right, right. <laughs> um, but this kind of bleeds over into where we are these days because those those forms were used as like an index of training. If you don't, if you can't train out in the open and say, this block is to block this, this strike is to hit this, um, because it, you know, gains too much attention from the authorities, you just put together a dance uh, and it's kind of a, a 
condensation of all of the techniques and outlook of the fight into 20 moves. And then your job as the practitioner is to take those 20 moves and break them back into 400 different possibilities of if somebody's striking you, you could do this, this, or this, and then you can move to this, this, or this. So it's not necessarily, you know, you're training these 20 moves in case 20 people attack you in this order. (laughs) It's because this is a good alphabetical ABC way to put all those moves together so you still practice them. I I would be curious to to figure out why there's not a parallel. My gut reaction is that uh, you know the the western martial arts never had to hide what they were doing. Right, they were the like, oppressors. Right, yeah, I was going to say like white men have never <laughs> they, been oppressed. They weren't so, the oppressed. Yeah, they they just did what the fuck they wanted. Right. For better um, or for worse. That yeah, that's that's I don't know if that's a hole in their training or just the privilege that they didn't have to worry about that because yeah. at least in the stuff that I've seen and and maybe there is more form related technical work out there but I you know in in the year almost that I've been doing this I I haven't seen anything to parallel that. So with that in mind let's let's transition into our deep part of the episode. Uh and I feel like our our current situation really highlights my my question for today is why are you training what's what's the point what's what's the reason here continuity for for me more than anything um especially being so new to the sport I, i feel this is a pretty critical time like you start to understand everything you understand the terms you start developing the, the transitions, you, you work on all of those things, then to have a, a monkey wrench thrown in of just a, a period of time, who knows when the next time you'll be able to get back into the school to train, how much are you going to lose? Mm. I know for you, you've been doing this for, you know, 23 years at this point. So even taking six months off, what you would lose compared to what somebody that is in my position would lose are, are very different things. You have a lot more muscle memory built up, which I, I don't. So building that up, just working on handling calibration, worrying about footwork, making sure that you're standing properly. All, all of these things are still things that I have to think about actively work on right. as I'm training. Right. Whereas again, a, a long time veteran, those are, I imagine come very naturally. Those aren't things that you have to think about to do, to just throw a punch, to work on a kick. You don't have to think of, well, I have to put my foot here and I have to stand and, like this and I have and, to weight it properly. And there's, and there's, there's two results of that and neither of which are good. And it's, it, it's, you know, a credit to my wife for pointing this out um, as, as well as, you know, me thinking about this is, is you're right. Like, you know, if you, if you do something for 23 years and you have to take six months, say a year off, that's what four four percent of the time. Yeah. So so yeah, it's it's not as disconcerting to me thinking, oh, I well, I'm not going to train in the studio for a few months. No big deal. But yeah, if if you have a student that's this is their second year, then six months is an, an enormous proportion of or enormous portion of of their training time. And so while I might not be, I might not want to. I might not feel the need to immediately switch to this online training because, 
you know, if I miss a week, two weeks, if I miss a month, it's not that big of a deal. I'm still going to remember what I've been training for the past two decades. Somebody else won't. And it's as an instructor, it's it's incumbent upon me to <laughs> to maintain their training regimen. And that's something my, my wife pointed out for me because she is new at it. So, you know, she helped me bring that that into perspective. Uh, kind of like the fire under my ass, like keep keep your students training, if not for you, for them. So yeah, well, I mean, I feel like everybody's drained these days, not having their, their regular routine, not being able to do what they normally do. And yeah. it's very easy to, to dip into complacency. Um, and that got me thinking about, you know, like I should definitely be training more in the yard. I should be doing my basics. I should be running through my forms. I should be doing my weapons training. But then they got me thinking about like, why? What's What's the point? You know, we're not, you and I aren't old by any stretch of the means, but we're definitely not pro athlete age. Unfortunately, we're over the hump for that. (laughs) Over that hump. Yeah. You know, so, Um, you know, some people train for for the glory about, you know, the the, the medals and the trophies. Uh, And this all came from training to survive, like help your kingdom be the best kingdom. And, you know, there's a different methodology for that type of fighting these days. Uh, more militaristic and then for the for for the glory for the belt or whatever it is like that's 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 even different you know the way you fight to protect your country is much different than the way you fight to win a championship yeah Um, wasn't always that way but nowadays it's very different and if you're a 30 something year old dude in your house like neither of those are really top priority so what are you training for are you training for Self-defense, possibly, but let's let's admit a jump spinning hook kick is about as impractical as a flurry with a broadsword <laughs> in self-defense terms. Like those those things are not going to help you, heaven forbid, should you need them. So what's what's the reason you're training? Is it just to get better? Is it, is it continuity, like you said? And if that's the case, does it have to be martial arts? Could it just be jogging? Could it be you know doing laps in the pool? What 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 is it that sets martial arts apart from any other exercise given the situation that you can't necessarily practice it with other people at this time? So I think I'm kind of broken when it comes to, aren't we all? Yeah. (laughs) When it comes to desires or reasons for training. Um, But before I did martial arts, when I was in college, I rode Right, what? I, I was on crew. I, I was in uh, in boats a lot. And t- to really be respected in college rowing, you want to be in the top eight. It's it's just kind of a necessity. You want to be one of the top eight it's fastest competition guys. competition-based. Correct. Um, but the things that I always loved the most were when I got the opportunity to be in a small boat, a, a, a single I mean, I I love singles when I'm rowing next to someone else. Um, being in Clemson, we have Lake Hartwell, which is enormous. I mean, you can row 50 miles to the north, from, you know, northeast, I guess, and get to Georgia. Or you can row 50 miles south and just visit a dam. Like, you can go in a lot of different directions as as far as you want. And getting into those small boats and just kind of forgetting just working on technique not not being goal oriented towards being in the top boat but just 
this stroke wasn't perfect. I have to rebalance. I have to think. I have to breathe properly. Finding that kind of calmness and patience with yourself, because I feel that's something that a lot of people our age don't have, because we've been, <laughs> we've kind of been taught, like, don't be calm with yourself. You You need to beat yourself up if you're not constantly performing if you're not constantly producing perfection exactly so to get into a situation and i i have found that solo drilling is much the same where i i know a lot less about sword fighting than i did rowing so it's still but you know how to practice exactly exactly so i can be a good critique of what i know and I hope I'm doing it properly, but if I see myself throw a cut wrong, I will stop and just go over the footwork and that one cut over and over and over until I feel happy. And I'll do that for 15, 20 minutes. And it's just... So, but so let me interrupt. Like, But what is your goal? Is there a certain point where you will be happy with that cut? I don't think... I don't think that's the goal. I don't think the goal is to ever be... You should never tell yourself you just threw a perfect cut in my head. And it's the same thing with rowing. And I imagine it's the same thing with Tang Sudo. There should never be a time where you take a perfect stroke or you do a perfect cut or you do a perfect hook kick. Because if you only do it once, that means that you're constantly not doing it to that level. So there's this term in Tang Sudo, and I imagine there's a similar term in other martial arts called Ryun Ma. And it translates roughly to polishing the stone. And that's kind of a mantra you keep in practicing. Uh, just polish the stone. You know, you're never going to be perfect, but constantly strive for perfection. One of, the, one of the themes you tell yourself in training is that, you know, it takes a hundred times to understand a technique. It takes a thousand times to fully grasp it and takes 10,000 times to master it. Um, I did the math and I'm, I'm approaching 10,000 for some of my stuff. <laughs> I would never say that I've mastered anything, but numerically I'm getting close to 10,000 <laughs> with some of my techniques. You know, but, but at the end of the day, what, is, what does mastery really mean? Does it mean that I could execute this technique on anybody and take them down perfectly? Does it mean that I can do this technique with a fully empty mind and really achieve that kind of mindless state? Does it mean that uh, I'm going to have the most beautiful technique and I'd be judged accordingly in a competition? Um, and, and is that limited to a martial art training? I mean, one could say that, you know, the, the tea ceremony has just as much weight to it. If you can perform the traditional serving of tea with an empty mind and fluidly going through all your techniques without any influence from the outside world, then you're a master of of yourself and of your universe. Definitely. And that has nothing to do with, with martial arts. So the, I mean, the, the situation where we're, we're cut off from everybody really brings into perspective the question of like, why are you doing this in the first place if you continue to do it? I've heard that about creativity as well and i'm trying to remember what time frame or or you know if it was impressionist post-impressionist modern modernist i I forget 
who this is associated with, but going towards creativity, taking taking that kind of blank slate without having to think about art to create art, too. You're not... You're not creating the art. The art is already there. You're just expressing right. it. Right. It's not you thinking, I'm going to do a perfect brush stroke. The it's, perfect brush stroke exists somewhere. Whether or not you are going to execute it is up for debate. Exactly. Um, I, I think that... I mean, I, I agree. I, I think that mindset is is... You know, we're we're talking about not calling things perfect or, or the best or whatever. And I was going to say, I think it's the best mindset to take to training. <laughs> um, I, I think it is useful. I think there are times, especially getting into something where you have to think. You, you don't have the option because if you are thoughtless, you could hurt somebody. I, I, I feel like a lot of Eastern martial arts, I imagine this developed later because you're doing everything hand to hand people over calibrating or doing something wrong can kind of get away with it for a while. In HEMA, you're swinging steel around. If you're... Well, and there's a big difference between somebody who wants to train with you versus somebody who wants to kill you. Yes, yes. But what, what, I'm, what I'm saying is if you are unthinking when you swing a longsword, you could break someone's ribs. Not that you could... Well, unthinking is not the same as, as mindlessness. That's you know, true. A, being absent-minded is, is different from being empty mind. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's Plenty that's of another absent mind. <laughs> that's easy. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I mean like that's that's a weird that's a weird place to take yourself to know that you've gotten to where you're performing without thinking. Hmm. But is that necessarily a bad thing? I I think that shows more of a mark of expertise, not not being the expert, but that you have, like you said, you've gotten to a level where it's... I don't have to think about it. Yeah, it's a it's a natural reaction. And I, I feel like martial arts in general, that's that's the goal. To the point where you, if you get into a situation where you have to defend yourself, you don't have to think about it. it like, you automatically know someone is being aggressive, and you know all of the ways that you can defend yourself. Well, and... and kind of backing up from that you know i've been in fortunately knock on wood i've been in a very small handful of situations where i've had to think like that but even outside of the martial arts realm anybody who practices anything can strive for that that mindset you know whether you're into martial arts or you're into flower arranging if you can achieve that state of mind not not absent-mindedness but mindlessness yeah, in, in your practice, then that might be something that we're all kind of striving towards. Yeah, I guess the point is, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> the point is, yep. <laughs> so, for the third trimester of our episode, uh, <laughs> baby's coming. I feel like we should we should uh, bring some more levity to the conversation and just discuss. Given that we're all training solo these days, what are some what are some fun stories you have about training solo? Um, and we'll even let this bleed into some fun training stories with with other people. Um, um, so I got this started. So I've got one to drop while you're while you're thinking. Okay. Uh, back when I was in college in Charleston, I rented a house right on the river, 
wasn't the whole house. It was like the upstairs loft above the garage. So I had a nice vaulted ceiling, you know, easy way to trick you out of two, one third of your cubic volume of apartment. <laughs> yeah. And uh, a buddy of mine came over after work. He doesn't train, but um, he was hanging out. So he's, he's in the story, but this still counts as a solo training story because he wasn't training. We had uh, a couple of lawn chairs. We had a six pack and we're sitting by the, by the river just watching the water flow by my landlady at the time had been doing some uh, renovation on her house so she had a pile of scrap wood in the corner and uh two beer brent said hey you know what let's let we should break some of this wood let's practice some some karate stuff so we got a couple of cinder blocks out and we got some of the wood out and we're you know I'm kicking through, smashing through stuff. This is little small planks of wood. If you've, if you've practiced yeah. at all, you know, you can break a piece of wood. And then we got to this weird green wood, which turned out to be uh, pressure treated. But it was still, it was like one by whatever. I mean, tiny pieces of wood. So uh, three beer, Brent said, uh, you know, no, we can we can break this. No problem. <clears throat> so we get the cinder blocks out and we're, I'm just hammering into it, smashing it. And this is, you know, I've at this point I'm, 15 years into my practice, 13, 15 years in, break a fucking piece of wood, no problem. <laughs> so we're smashing, we're blasting out of nothing. And I think to myself, oh, you've got a katana upstairs. You should go get that. This is this is what you've been training for. So I went up and got my katana, come down, got the cinder blocks with the wood in the middle like the breaking demonstration. Take the katana all the way up and come straight down and just thwack, just sticks in it, oh. half an inch in. But three and a half beer, Brent was like, "No way, no way." So we flipped the wood over, um, took the sword and flipped it around. So I don't know if you've seen a katana; they're they're single edge, single edge swords. Yeah. So the back end is flat, kind of like a hammer. So you know, four beer, Brent takes the the wood and puts it across the cinder blocks. Takes the katana. Comes all the way up, all the way back, overhead strike, and just blasts right through this thing. And my sword goes through the boards and hits the the ground. And I open my eyes and look, and the boards are still there. And I'm looking at the boards, thinking, that's weird. Like, my sword went to the ground. Why are the boards still there? And while I'm thinking that, I hear, tink, 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 tink. Oh, God. And I, and I raise the, my sword up, and I look, and it's cleaved in half just snapped straight in half and the sound i heard was the tip of the katana rebounding off the driveway 20 yards away oh my god what happened was when i came up and cleaved down the 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 board didn't move but the sword (laughs) kept going and snapped it in half and sent it ricocheting inches by my head up into the air far enough to where i could have a complete thought before it returned to earth behind the driveway oh my god um so we we put the swords away at that point yeah (laughs) like not a not a wise decision got very lucky i was gonna say i'm pretty sure katanas are are shaped so that they're only strong in one direction they're not axes no (laughs) yeah you don't you don't want to do that no i proved some well-known theories with with that uh so my training has not been quite as disastrous as That's that. Good. That's good. Um, so most of what I have experience in with people training me is rapier and longsword. Um, we've done a couple of side sword classes, so I have very limited knowledge in that. But we're planning on doing a full time side sword class 
at the school. Um, so I'm pretty good friends with the rapier instructor who's also going to be the side sword instructor. So I went ahead and bought myself a side sword and he and I dick around with it every once in a while. So I, I know the extreme basics. I know the cutting diagrams. We're still doing Meyer. We're still, you know, doing things that I recognize. So I, I'm all confident I'm going to do this. The problem That's your is first mistake right there. It is. It is. <laughs> um, Going from a two-handed sword to a single-handed sword, like, okay, it's shorter, it's lighter, how can I fuck this up? So I'm doing just just the, the cuts, just the overhand cuts from my right shoulder to my left hip, from my left shoulder to my right hip. Okay, this is easy, that's not bad, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna swing it around a little bit more, I'm gonna cut down the A line, I'm gonna cut down the H line, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this cool wicked whack! Smack myself in the back of the head as I'm bringing it around. Oh, nice. Yep, yep. So, like, shook that one off, and I was like, okay. Did anybody see it? No. Doesn't luckily, count. no. Doesn't count, then. <laughs> so, like, I go back into it, and I'm doing it, and I get all confident again. I'm like, all right. I know if I do this, I'll smack myself in the back of the head. So I'm And this not is with a that. sword, mind. It's, I'm, I'm not going fast. This is not, like, competitive speed. There's, there's a small I'm, difference between a slap and a slice with a sword. Yeah, there are no there are no edges on these, luckily, so I'm not Oh, okay. Outside of bludgeoning open my scalp, I'm not in any danger of just cutting myself with this. So you're careless, you're not foolish. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> so I keep I, I get into it and then I I'm like, oh, I'm gonna try some of these things I've seen Keith do because I'm a dickhead, so I might as well try it. So I go and I do this thing and my feet get all wrong, and I'm like, oh that doesn't work, and I I like move back real quick and I bring my sword in and I punch myself in the gut with the pommel of it. I was like, nice. all right, I'm done with this for the day. I'll do it. So I picked up my jump rope because I'm like, I'm going to jump. I'm going to do some jump rope just to train, just to get mm. some aerobics, just to like, I'm clearly I'm done with the sword today because I keep hurting myself. So I'm doing my jump rope and I'm just sitting there trying to calm down and have my music in and like 20 jumps in. Just smack myself in the back of the head where I hit myself with the sword. Mm. Fuck it, I'm done. Very I'm nice. done with this. <laughs> a few years ago, I was renting a room <clears throat> in a split-level house on the south side of town. And in my spare time, I would practice nunchucks while watching Bruce Lee films. <laughs> Get um, that overconfidence built up. I wouldn't say overconfidence. I mean, I'm 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 pretty good with, with nunchucks. I'm somewhere between like... You know, cartoon Michelangelo and actual Bruce Lee. Somewhere in there. You know, not <laughs> okay. nearly as good as Bruce Lee, but definitely better than like a cartoon Ninja Turtle. Okay. Them, right? Okay. I, can, I, I like I can, that scale. Yeah, I can hit some stuff here and there. <laughs> and um, while I'm, I'm practicing, you know, like a movie, you know, 90, 120 minutes. So you just go through some slow routines over the head, down by the hip, over the shoulder, back catch, over the head, down the sh- you know, just back and forth. Just kind of almost cardio at this point. Um and every now and then you try to pick up the, pick up the pace. And one of the things, one of the mottos I have with my students is like, you can use a foam nunchuck if you want, but you will learn much quicker with a pair of wooden nunchucks. Because uh, if you fuck up, like, you will <laughs> you make know. sure you don't do that again. And that was not what I was thinking at the time. I was thinking, oh, Bruce Lee and then nunchucks and watching the movie. And so I'm over, under, back, over, under, back, and then full speed nunchuck, back of the head, just whack. <laughs> And I don't remember what happened after that, oh. but I, I do remember kind of coming to on slash near the couch 
of where I was. So apparently one of the overhand spins had just caught me on the back of the head and just took myself out. So, you know, learned, learned a lot. Um, learned that I do have the force to knock somebody out with nunchucks. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was myself at that yeah. time. So, uh, but in the long run, haven't done it since. So, yeah, I mean, working with wooden nunchucks. <laughs> your your proverbs to your student you is the true, technique. right? <laughs> um, so, I've done a couple of the the wrestling classes that we offer, and I want to do more. Um, but I, I've had a. I, Treating my body poorly over the years has caught up to me, and my back is not exactly the Let's, most. Whoa, 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 whoa! We need to back up here. What are you? What are you talking about? You've been college I mean, athlete. I, oh, oh, no. since well, after so then. The thing is, I I always rode the same side for five years in college. Yeah, but I think treat your body badly. I think like cocaine and McDonald's. <laughs> like that's well, treating your body so, badly. So I did, you know, I, I, I built up one side of my body so much that I had the like Quasimodo shoulder mm. going on. I would walk into a chiropractor's office and they would just cringe. They would see one side of my body. Like I walked into one chiropractor's office and he went, huh, your legs are different lengths. Before he had put his hands on me, he mm. saw me walking and was like, yeah, you're, you're little funny te- bell tower guy, aren't you? Quasi-noli. <laughs> Quasi-noli. So... I, I I have stepped away from doing ringing. Uh, I enjoy it immensely. I lo- I love doing it, but every time I do it, I I just my back is hurt. I just get up in pain. And one of the times I was wrestling one of the instructors, we were we weren't doing full wrestling, but we weren't just doing drills. So like, you're not going to the tap out, but you're going harder than. We yeah we we were doing so we had run through that sounds to me like two twenty year old dudes saying we're not going to go full force but we're really going to go full force yeah kind of um, so we do these we do decision drills where we'll practice three or four different things and then at the end of class we'll we'll just take ten minutes and somebody will come in come into a grapple and you have three decisions that you can make so you got to go from here to here you you have to make a decision in time before they put you on the ground. Um, so the guy I'm wrestling is quite a bit heftier than me. He's probably got 60 pounds on me, but I'm six inches taller than him. So I, I, I'm getting confident that like I can get into the positions that I want because I'm lankier. I'll, I'll get him. And I came in, I grabbed his shirt. He, he executed properly. He got behind me and then he threw me straight up. Hmm. I'm, you know, worst I'm, place to be thrown. Right. And I'm 190 pounds. And I went, I, I went far enough into the air that I had time to think like, oh, this is a bad move. This is going to hurt because, yeah. <laughs> because he threw me and then he took a step back and I just fell like a crash dummy just <laughs> to the floor. It's like when you hear the acne pull whistle. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like Wiley Coyote. Mm-hmm. I could have put a sign up that just said like, oh no. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that was the, that was the last class that I did. Sorry, Lucas, uh, because I <laughs> he threw me so far into the air that I just crumpled, and I was like, "All right, well, I'm I'm taking stuff <laughs> before yeah. I do this again." Nice. So it seems like we've strayed a little bit from training solo. Yeah. For this to... discussion, but <laughs> maybe ne- there's a reason we should train solo more. <laughs> yeah. And you know, nevertheless, I think it's I think it's good to reflect on these times about like when you're training solo what can you still what can you still improve um 
And I think, Absolutely. I think all of us, given our current situation, have something we can improve on, whether it's martial arts or just general physical fitness or even not in that realm. You know, how 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 good can you bake bread? You know, so what's what's something that you can take this time that we have and and try to polish the stone, try to implement that re and ma. You know, even if you think you're pretty good at something, what's yeah. what's something you can continue to try to get better at, knowing you're never gonna actually reach perfection. And that's yeah. something that I've learned from martial arts over the years that has bled into my other life about you know striving for perfection with any task, knowing full well you're never gonna get there. But nevertheless, dedicating your time and your energies to doing the best you can to yeah. get there. And, and just on a on a practical note, uh, if if this quarantine is still going on when this episode goes up, which I I incredibly hope that it is not. Uh, but if it is, and and you are one of the many unfortunate people in the states that has had to file for unemployment. And there are people like us saying we're working on hobbies and things. Don't feel bad if you're not if you're not polishing the stone. If you are just doing things day in and day out to make ends meet, don't beat yourself up about it. I, I think that's something that a lot of people Maslow's need to hierarchy of needs. There's there's tons of people out there that you know basic survival is much more of a, an immediate need. Yes. You know, and, and, and people like you and me who are fortunate enough to be able to dedicate the time to train, I feel like part of our training also should be dedicated to helping those that aren't so fortunate to have that. So if you're one of our listeners that is into martial arts and is fortunate enough to have the, the place and the time and the money and the energy to train, keep keep an eye out for people in your community that aren't necessarily engaged, not because they don't want to be, but because they can't be, you know protecting ourselves protecting our family and our community also extends to protecting those that that, that can't um, whether that means from physical violence or f- financial hardships or you know anything that you can help with just just keep an eye out for people around you exactly exactly cool well this has been martial parts the podcast where we talk about different parts of martial arts um, very glad that you have joined us for this month's episode. Uh, we are part of the Final Plank Network, so if you are interested in any of our other shows, which are a little more um, jovial in nature, check out finalplank.com or search for Final Plank on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. We've got lots of other cool things that you can listen to. Um, I've been your Eastern Martial Arts Practitioner, Brent Lacey, co-host for the evening. I have been your Western Martial Artist and HEMA enthusiast, Nolan Lacey. And we will catch you all next month. Thanks for listening. Bye. Martial Parts is produced by Brent and Nolan Lacey. Theme music was composed by Jared Bookbinder. Martial Parts is a production of Final Plank Media.